You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Thanks, Rachel. Some of you might be aware that the 106th Tour de France began last night. It's been going over a century. Uh, it started off in Brussels in Belgium. Le Tour, as they call it, has been described as the holy grail of professional cycling. And uh, there's a saying, there's cycling and then there's the tour. And uh, this year I'm going for the boy from Launceston. I'm going for Richie Port. It's his ninth tour, but he's crashed out of the last two. So for Richie this year, he's got to stay on his bike. You can't win it if you don't stay on your bike. So he's got to stay on his bike, and then he's going to have to endure 3,460 kilometres of basically physical and mental torture completing 21 stages at an average speed of around 40 kilometres an hour or more, and that's uphill, down dale, uh, hoping that everything goes right for him and for his team. But there's 21 other utterly dedicated professional cycling teams all trying to do the same. So it uh, really is a challenge. That's Richie's challenge uh, that's what he's trained for. That's what he signed up for, to suffer in a saddle for nearly 3,500 kilometres for, uh, for three weeks to win this holy grail of cycling. What a challenge. But I wonder, have you ever faced an utterly daunting challenge? Have you stared down the barrel of something that looks so enormous, so deeply challenging... You'd think, how am I ever going to do that? 
Eugene Peterson has given us some excellent advice if you found yourself in that situation. He says that what's needed to, to conquer a challenge is a long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. So not chopping and changing, just keep plugging away, plugging away, plugging away in the same direction. And God has charged his church with a, what's been described as the Great Commission, which requires a long obedience in the same direction. That Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. What a challenge. I reckon that far exceeds the challenge of Richie Port. This commission isn't fulfilled just by making converts, people who honk twice and say they'll follow Jesus, but people who will be taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them, baptised into the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, being taught to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And Jesus has promised to be with us in that challenge to the end of this world's history. So that was the challenge that Timothy was facing in Ephesus. The challenge that we just read about to, to raise up disciples, make gospel workers, if you like, people who are reliable and qualified to teach others. And that challenge is the same challenge we face here in Launceston. And it's the challenge the church has faced ever since Jesus gave that commission. And it's the challenge to make disciples. And passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers is our supremely important task. But it's far from easy. It's far from easy. See what we're told here. Second Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We need strengthening for this task. The ESV has be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And that's literally how it it reads in the original. We are to be strengthened by Christ's grace. The NIV is putting it in the positive of be strong in that grace. But where does grace come from? From Jesus. From Jesus Christ. The grace that's in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me, saying in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be also qualified to teach others, that's what the grace is for. We're told, you know, in John's Gospel, that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We're told that it's grace upon grace. James tells us to that he promises more grace. God's promising more grace. And that more grace is so that we can be strong in the Lord, strengthened with his might. We need that. It's not just for the, the, the overall challenge of making disciples, but it's for the challenge of just being a Christian, living out our faith. 
doing the things that God has called us to do. We have to do it with the strength that God supplies. That's a common phrase that you'll come across in the New Testament. And it sounds like an oxymoron. How do you be strong in grace? If grace is unmerited favour, how do you be strong in it? Well, you see, there's two sides. It's like a coin. There's two sides to grace. The common side, if you like, the head side, the side with the, the, the symbol of the queen on it that we, we often think about, is, is the fact that we, uh, it's God's unmerited favour. It's, it's what flows from him to us. And it's his grace, and we don't deserve it. It's his favour that he bestows upon us. But also, on the other side, he gives the strength to do what he's called us to do. He's promised not just unmerited favour, but power. Grace is both. The grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ is the unmerited favour he has bestowed upon us at the cross, where Christ Jesus died for sinners. And... The flip side of that is that the Christ who died on the cross, who was buried and who rose again, ascended to the Father's right hand and poured out the Holy Spirit so that we would have the strength to do what he's called us to do. And he said, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age in that. So it's that that unmerited favour and that supply of strength And we're told to be strong, to be strengthened by that grace that's in Christ Jesus. And often you'll see Paul commends his faithful gospel workers, people who have been his co-workers and helpers. And it's notable that among them, there's often women. It's not just the blokes doing the gospel work. There's faithful women. He commends Chloe and Phoebe and a a range of them. So we all have a part to play in raising up gospel workers. There's parts for men and parts for women. There's parts for the young and parts for the old. There's parts for me and there's parts for you. There's, There's parts for people from all the nations Because it's a worldwide commission that we've got to raise up disciples of all the nations. But the primary responsibility of ensuring that that work gets done is entrusted to overseers. They oversight the work. That's the role of pastors and elders. That's the role that Timothy has in in Ephesus. And so... There's a real challenge in front of Timothy in Ephesus. There's people, we're told later on this letter, they have itching ears, they're wanting to hear what pleases them, not hard things, nice things thereafter. There was some people deserting Timothy in the work. Paul had encountered the same problem. There were others that, that were just drifting away and our, our idlers, tattlers, just going from house to house and... And, and they weren't about the master's business. And you can imagine Timothy is a pastor thinking, how do I get all these people on the same page? How do I get them all working towards serving Jesus with, with all the strength that he supplies? Well, it's going to be as he is strong 
in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. It's going to be as he trains elders and he trains up others who will shoulder that work. So it says in that in verse 2 that his commission, if you like, the thing that Paul really wants him to focus on is the things you've heard me say, that's Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust. There's an entrusting. It's a trusted role. Entrust to reliable people, not scatterbrained people or half-committed people, but reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. They're the two things that you see. You see the need for reliable people, solid, faithful, trustworthy people and qualified. They've been trained and equipped to teach others, to instruct and influence and guide. These are the ones that Timothy was to invest in because they would join with him in that work. I wonder when was the last time you audited your heart about how committed you are and how committed I am to that task of raising up gospel workers. How focused are we on living for Jesus and seeing that others hear that good news of Jesus Christ as well? It's it's the church's presenting challenge of every generation in every locality it's, it's our deepest challenge here at the branch that we don't lose sight of that and we keep that as our central focus, our supremely important task to raise up labourers for the harvest field, gospel workers. And I wonder, are you the kind of reliable person, a faithful, reliable, qualified person that God can use in that task. He who is faithful in a little will be faithful in much. It might be just a little role that you've got. It might be, you know, looking after the media. But boy, if, if you forget to click on the next slide, everybody knows about it. Or if you're not turning up on time to get ready and do that well, you're always behind the eight ball. Or it could be setting up chairs. But if the chairs aren't set up, people don't, you know, you know we're not here, we're not able to sit down or things aren't sorted out and people have to go into panic mode and get things set up. It could be just a little thing, but it's faithfulness being reliable and it all contributes to a bigger goal. The goal of making Christ known, of raising up others who will be able to speak out and tell out the good news of Jesus to the world around us. So Paul wants to show that being strong in grace looks like hard work. And that's probably not something we want to hear, but it's something we need to hear. And he says he wants to underscore the absolute importance to Timothy that passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers requires a steely resolve. Look at verses 3 to 7. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering. It's going to entail suffering. It, it, it's not 
uh, child's play. It, it's not an easy thing to do. Serving God and raising up gospel workers is demanding and strenuous. At the end of those verses, verse 7, he says, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into it all. So deep and prayerful reflection on the cost is needed. And we need to discern our part in this overall process of helping raise up gospel workers. Not all of us are going to be up front doing the talking and preaching the gospel. But we are all going to share a role in seeing that that happens, as I've just described. And Timothy was in the thick of it at Ephesus, with false teachers and all kinds of problems. Life and ministry are probably tougher than he'd expected. He, he found the world isn't favourable towards this. Everything inside our flesh cries out against it. The flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another. And you'll find that the devil hates it and he'll do all he can to fire his fiery darts and cause stumbling blocks and make problems. And Timothy was finding this out and Paul says to him, join with me in suffering like a good soldier. And he gives three brilliant examples of what that might look like. A soldier, an athlete and a farmer. Just have a look. At each of those. Verse 4, the soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So it's the discipline of unentangled, single-minded allegiance for a soldier. Knowing who you're serving. The athlete, it's, it's the discipline of serving the Lord with single-minded integrity. Because it says similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown unless by competing according to the rules. You break the rules, you're out. We've all heard of Lance Armstrong. He won seven tours, apparently. He was first across the line, but he was a drug cheat. And he was stripped of all seven of his titles. He didn't compete according to the rules. So he's disqualified. His name's been stripped from the history books. There's not one title for the Tour de France that Lance Armstrong is entitled to. For the honour of Jesus Christ, all of these disciplines have to line up. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Think of the farmer, the discipline of working hard for a reward with the benefits in mind, knowing what you're serving for. It's, you, you suffer and you sacrifice now in the hope of a bumper harvest down the track. You don't reap it tomorrow. You don't reap it next week. It comes in due season. But if you don't sow, you don't reap. If you don't tend the crop, you'll have it eaten away. And if you don't take off the crop, as in harvesting it, you won't have anything to eat. So there's work to be done at different stages, but it's towards that goal. So the soldier serves his commanding officer with single-minded allegiance. Roman soldiers were forbidden to marry. 
They had huge packs to carry. They, they, everything about a soldier's life was just lined up to do one thing, and that was please the commanding officer. Everything about the athlete is that you do it in line with the rules because you break the rules and you're out. And everything the farmer does is lined up toward the goal that's down the track. These are the points that are being brought out. Know who you're serving, your commanding officer, the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus. Know how you're to serve according to the rules, by the gospel, by the teaching of Jesus, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And know what, what you're working towards. It's that goal of the ultimate harvest of seeing men, women and children throughout the world come to the knowledge of Christ. Come to love, to love the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and taste and see that he is good and become models and examples of, of that same ministry, passing it on to others. So that soldier's discipline of unentangled allegiance, doesn't the captain of our salvation deserve that? Our unentangled allegiance? Our single-minded service for him? And doesn't the Lord Jesus deserve honest service like the athlete? That we, we be honourable people? That we compete according to his parameters, we do things his way, even if it's in conflict with the world. And the farmer's discipline. Doesn't the Lord of the harvest deserve being served sacrificially, suffering now for the hope of glory later? Because that's the very model that Jesus gave us. Jesus was the suffering servant who for the cross that was set before him, he endured that cross, but now he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Everything about the gospel shows us that in this life we will have persecution, we will have problems. But what we are working towards is an eternal weight of glory. And Jesus' very life models that. So when it comes to living the Christian life in community with other believers, we all need to know and abide by these three kingdom ground rules. If we're to march according to the same drumbeat, if we're to fight under the same banner, if we're to serve the same Lord against a common enemy, if we don't serve that way, we'll wind up at cross purposes. We'll wind up at loggerheads with one another. And that's not how... how the church at Ephesus was to function and that's not how the church here at the branch is to function or anywhere in the world. We're to compete according to the rules and we are to reflect on these things. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. I'm sure if you reflect on what I'm saying you will see the point of it, of being consecrated, dedicated to the Lord, not in your own strength, but with the strength that God supplies by grace, the promised strength that comes through the Spirit of Jesus 
Help us to walk with Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus and to want others to know Jesus as well. When I was a young Christian, many people in my home church told me, you're going to be a pastor one day. And it it came to pass, but I tell you, it was not without some difficulties. I became a pastor quite easily. In fact, I would say too early. What What took me many years to figure out was that I'm not ideally suited to be a senior pastor. I'm better suited to play second fiddle. I'm better suited to be an assistant to someone else. But it took years of wrestling and trying to figure that out and say, why why are things not necessarily going right? And I finally realised, look, by, by mental strength, by temperament, by... Uh, just how I'm wired and made up, God has suited me better for an assistant role than the primary role. I wonder if you've reflected on how you're wired. Do you know what role you're best suited for? Because it's not an easy thing at times to figure that out. I found when I was senior pastor of a church, it was an unhealthy price that Robin and I paid for it. I could do it, but it it just cost me. cost me more than just suffering for the gospel. There was something about it that was unsustainable for me. And there was something about it that just didn't go 100% well for the church. And it requires a degree of humility and discernment to figure these things out. So... You know, reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight. And then he he draws our attention to something that's super, super important in this. If we're to know our place and our role in the body in serving this great commission, passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers requires looking to Jesus Christ. He says... Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Remember the Lord. Now, there's an interesting little thing here. Everywhere else in 2 Timothy, bar verse 8, the phrase is Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. You'll see it at the beginning of the chapter. And you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, all got Christ Jesus except for this verse. It says Jesus Christ. It's like a series of dots. Blue, green, blue, green, blue, green, blue, green, green, blue. Oh, is that a mistake? No, it's not a mistake. It's it's a device by the writer to, to cause us to pull up Say, oh, what's changed? And see what we're told here. Remember Jesus Christ, and we're told two things, raised from the dead and descended from David. Raised from the dead means he suffered. It cost him his life. He died on the cross. The suffering servant. So he's been raised from the dead. God has vindicated him. God raised him from the dead. He's no longer dead. He's alive. And he's descended from David. This God who did this is a God who keeps his promises. 
And Jesus is saviour and Christ is anointed one. Instead of the other way around, he's got saviour, anointed one, Jesus the Christ. We tend to treat it like a first name and a surname, Jesus Christ. But they're titles, they're not actually names. And by reversing the titles, he's drawing our attention to something. And he's saying that our saviour who did die has been raised from the dead. And the God who did it is the God who raised, who, who keeps his promises, the God who is faithful. And that's why we're told, remember Jesus Christ. Although he suffered, God raised him from the dead. Although God's promises seemed to go unfulfilled for so long, at the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and God fulfilled his promises through sending his son. So it's the pattern that Paul himself followed in his life, knowing that he was suffering for the gospel. And later on in chapter 4 here, you'll see, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. And the Lord's got that reward waiting for me. He's been suffering toward, you know, like the farmer, delayed gratification, knowing that he'll share in the bumper crop, the harvest to come. So... We're to remember this because if we forget it, we start to grind away in our own strength thinking it all rests on us. Remember someone, Jesus. He's the supplier of grace. He's the one who does the work. He is faithful. So you'll see what what it goes on to say. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. He's writing from prison. But God's word isn't chained. Even though David died and Solomon was, you know, he got, his heart got led astray, God kept his promises. He raised up his servant Jesus and he is in fulfilment of the promise that God gave to David. He's David's royal son. He's the one who's the keeper of the covenant. He's the one who's established the new covenant through his blood that we've just celebrated here. God is faithful and we're to remember that. We're to keep looking to Jesus. So he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And he says, here's a trustworthy saying. Think about this trustworthy saying. The first of two stanzas is, if we, he will. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So if we, we will because of him. If we endure, we will reign with him. And the second two stanzas are, if we, he will, with a twist. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. God kept his promises to David. He was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. We know that. Murder, adultery. Solomon was a wise man. Someone described him as the wisest fool in Christendom. He intermarried like he was told not to do. 
bought chariots from Egypt like he was told not to do, raised up you know, people as servants like well warned if they had a king that would happen, their sons and daughters would be pressed into service. And example after example we see where Solomon went right down the track and his hearts were led, heart was led astray by foreign wives. And he started worshipping other gods. It's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. The pattern that Paul teaches is the pattern of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. Suffering now and glory later. And what will sustain us is looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Not forgetting Jesus. That's why we've been given the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me. Remember, remember, remember. Where does your strength come from? From the Lord on high. So this is probably an early Christian hymn. And you see it's inset here as poetry. If we died with him, we're going to live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. But if we disown him, he will disown us. If we confess him before men then Jesus will confess us before his Father who is in heaven. But if we deny him before men, he will deny us before our Father who is in heaven. But if we're faithless to him, he's still going to remain faithful to us. That's his nature. He cannot deny his promise. He isn't going to be like us. So that twist in the tail is the twist of grace. It's the twist of encouragement. Despite honouring the Lord by their faithless behaviour, the Lord remained faithful to his word of promise all through the Bible. Countless times during the, the course of my life and ministry, when I've taken my eyes off Jesus, I, I've realised, oh Lord, I've done it again. I had an instance just, just this week where I just felt overpowered by stuff and think, ah... And the only, only thing I can do is say, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for me. You rose again for me. My hope is in you. It's not in me. And pick myself up, dust myself off, and look to Jesus because I'm not saved by my performance. I'm not saved by my faithfulness. I'm saved by Christ Jesus, the faithful one. He's our hope. We've got to remember him. We've got to keep looking to him. Surely this is a point of greatest encouragement to us. God's grace is entirely enough. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. We must be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus with a steely-eyed resolve of faith, committed to a long obedience in the same direction, persuaded that our suffering will one day give way to glory, as it did with Jesus. Our hearts need constant refueling for this task or we'll just grow cold. And God's love comes to us through Jesus by the Spirit. And as Christians in Australia, we're going to likely face increased suffering for our stance on the gospel. It's not exactly the most popular thing around. And our commitment to world evangelisation is at loggerheads with what the world values we must expect this and not be surprised by it. So we've got to be prepared for some suffering. But our hope lies in being strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Our hope won't lie in a wonderful political system that saves us. 
It won't be in the Prime Minister, Christian though he be. It won't be in having the party that you think needs to be elected. It's going to be having the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on the throne who will sustain us, come what may. Our hope lies in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We can't find grace anywhere else. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, not through anywhere else or anyone else. We've got a whole rank, stand firm in Jesus and continually look to him as we focus on the task of raising up workers for the harvest field, investing in people who will be faithful, who can preach Christ crucified, knowing then that passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers requires constant looking to Jesus for more grace. We have a long obedience in the same direction. So I would invite you now to stand with me and we're going to recite three affirmations that really go over what I've been saying here. That passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers is our supremely important task. And passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers requires our steely resolve. And passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers requires constantly looking to Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? We can repeat this together. We commit ourselves to being strong in grace because passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers is our supremely important task since salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers requires our steely resolve, but we can do all this through him who gives us strength. Passing on the gospel and raising up gospel workers requires constantly looking to Jesus Christ. And our God will meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, we are totally dependent on you. We come before you today and say, Lord, sow into us all that we need for life and godliness. You've promised us that. Help us to stand firm in your promise. Help us to be strengthened by the grace that's to be found in Christ Jesus alone. Help us to have clear eyes on the prize, to understand what you've called us to do and to be and that you are our strength for it all. Encourage us, Lord, to make this our steely resolve to be found faithful to you, raising up workers for the harvest field, committed to the same gospel plan as you've made clear in all of scripture. Grant us encouragement, Lord, lest we lose heart. Give us a long obedience in the same direction, that we would suffer for something a lot better than an earthly prize, that we would suffer for the glory of our King, and that others too, might know the life that's found through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour.
In his name we pray. Amen.